Well, good morning, church. Good, good to be back. Little three-week break. Does the pastor good? Does the pastor's family good? And therefore, does the church good? A happy pastor is a happy church, right? Don't be jealous. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I'll weep with those of you who haven't got a break yet, but you rejoice with me. Um, I, uh, as I was away, before we get into the Word this morning, um, there are just uh, some people that came to my heart, just as the pastor of the church, and just how thankful I am. Um, of course, first and foremost, I think Mark's already gone to, uh, to the children's church to teach today, but I just am so thankful for Mark and Shelly. Because I can take a break. When I first started this church, it was out of my living room. And when I needed to go somewhere to preach somewhere or do something, it, I couldn't. There was just no way. that There was just nobody. And uh, now I can take a three-week break and not miss the beat. I heard Jan knock the bull out of the park. And, uh, and uh, Mark obviously always does a great job. And, um, but then I was also thinking about uh, some of the people while I was gone that have really uh, had to pull an extra load, and I was thinking about Mara Forsman, who's sitting back here, and it's probably really embarrassing I'm calling her name, but I just want to give her a shout-out, because her husband is in the military, and he was gone for six months? It was six months? And so you were a single mom of two children for about six months, right? So I just want to commend you and say, um, you're awesome. Thank you. Because while he's out there defending our nation, you're at home by yourself raising your kids. So, yeah, well, they're kind of raising themselves, right? Yeah. So, well, while I was on my break, um, I was just enjoying myself in the Word, and, and the, the, the Lord caused a phrase from a chapter in the Bible to jump out at me, and it really impacted me. And I started applying it to my life and my relationship with Him, and and then I was sitting on my front porch uh, last week, and my sister, who's uh, visiting, she asked me, you know, so what did the Lord say to you while you're on your break? And I thought, well, you know, it's just kind of me, between me and him. It's no big deal. And I shared it with her, and she said, oh, my gosh, you've got to preach that. I was like, really? And the next morning, she called me and said, I have already been applying that word to my life. And I thought, wow, I thought it was just for me. And so then I was talking to Josh Hamilton, our worship pastor, on the phone the next day, and we were just, you know, catching up and and then somehow we stumbled upon what I was what the Lord had said to me and he said oh my gosh you've got to preach that and I said really and uh he was just talking about how much it was speaking to him and then I had an encounter with somebody at my house uh around the same top topic which I'll share with you when I get into the message and I realized that this is probably not just for me it might be for you as well so I want to bring it today we've been in the book of Acts but I'm just going to take a little um a little break to drop this word in here. And then, of course, with all the worship songs being around the same thing, I thought, wow, God really wants to do some surgery in here today. So we're going to walk out of here happier, healed, empowered, encouraged. So you ready to get into it? All right. Let's go to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18. This is where I was camped out, just enjoying some time with the Lord, and he... uh gave me this, and thus he's given it to us. This encounter in First Kings 18 is powerful. Probably one of the top three encounters in the entire Bible. 
to set it up, the condition of Israel at this time, um, I'm not going to go to the scripture yet, Rome. To set it up, Israel at this time, God's people, had turned away from the Lord. Now, before I even start in the chapter, I want us to go to a particular verse. In verse 37, 1 Kings 18, 37. And I want you to see what the heart of the matter is here. In verse 37, Elijah, the prophet, says this. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God. And that you have turned their hearts back to you again. The whole issue of the Mount Carmel showdown was that God was sad that his people's hearts had departed from him and were worshiping false gods. Now, I want to say to you, that did not happen to me, so don't get too nervous. That wasn't necessarily what God was saying to me, except in part, and this is where it's going to apply to you as well as we move forward. In our relationships with the Lord, things can happen along the way that cause our our relationship with Him to begin to get weak or deteriorate or fall apart. It happens to all of us. But what happened here? What caused their hearts to depart from the Lord? I mean, this is God's nation. These are all of God's people. This is all He's got. And so let's go to verse 1 now, Rob. In verse 1 it says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Now, what was happening here? Israel had turned their hearts away from the Lord, and they were living in the world. They were living for the world value system. And their hearts became cold toward the Lord, and their hearts became hot and passionate toward false gods. And they began to do all the practices that uh, was ha- were happening in the world around them. Now, you have to understand the heart issue with God. In your marriage, do you want your husband or your wife just to kind of be there, but not really love you? Would that be okay with you? I mean, your marriage, you got the ring on your finger. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I got baptized. But there's no love whatsoever between you and God. Eh, I'm just a Christian. I go to church. It's just, you know, kind of, I have to. Or it's just religious or it's a duty. How do you think God feels about that? I mean, think about your spouse. Husbands, what if your wife was married to you, but you know she really doesn't love you? Whew. Wives, maybe some of you have experienced this where you know your husband really doesn't love you anymore. Some of you may have experienced infidelity or adultery. Or maybe he left. And I am so sorry that you had to experience that. But the pain of that, the sorrow of that, is the point of this whole passage. God feels it in his heart when we depart from him. He didn't create us just to serve him. He didn't create us just to order us around. He created us out of love and from love to give love and to be loved back. That is Christianity, is loving God back. 
He loved us, and he didn't show his love any greater than when he sacrificed his son on the cross for our sins so that we could come back to him. So the whole story of the Bible from the very beginning is God calling us back to himself over and over and over and over again because our hearts so easily depart. So how did their hearts end up departing from the Lord? In 1 Kings 18, it says, verse 4, So so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and fed them uh, with bread, keeping them alive. What happened to Israel? Well, you have Jezebel, the queen, who is wicked. And you have her husband, Ahad, who is a wimp. And so Jezebel, who worshipped all these false gods, gets her husband to follow her. Now, he's the king of Israel. He's the leader of the nation. And he has followed his wife into idolatry, and they are now setting up all these altars and making all these sacrifices to Baal. Now, Baal was known as the god who controls the weather, the god of rain in particular. And so God wanted to call his people back to himself, calls Elijah, the prophet, and says, Elijah, I want you to go to the leaders of our nation, the president and his wife, the king and the queen. I want you to go in my name and say, you think that Baal controls the weather? All right, I'm not going to let it rain for quite a while. So Elijah goes and says, it's not going to rain. And so for three and a half years, there's a drought. Hmm, sound familiar? Because God is doing two things. One, to prove that he's the one that controls the weather. We can look at weather patterns. We can look at the environment. We can look at global warming. We can look at all the sciences and the natural causes of our weather patterns. But there's something going on behind the scenes. God created the world. God created you and I. And he created us for relationship, for friendship. That's what it's all about. And so when our hearts depart from him, when we go to the world to try to get our satisfaction and our pleasure and our purpose, God doesn't like it. He's a father who's in love with us. So he will begin to mess with stuff to try to get our attention to turn our hearts back to him again. And then you'll see at the end of this passage, he pours out the rain on them. The blessings of God return. But it took a prophet to come on the scene and speak into the leaders of the nation. And so, here's what happens. Look in, I'm going to show you this. Look in verse 17. Ahab, the king, the president, is running out around trying to find water because of the drought, and people are dying, the, the animals are about to die. It's a severe negative condition in the nation. And so the king is out looking for water. And he runs into Elijah the prophet. And look what he says to Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab, the king, saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Man, isn't that amazing? You see, when preachers like myself or other prophets or men and women of God who have the national stage speak to the leadership of our nation, speak to the people of our nation, and say the only solution is to turn back to God. 
It's sin that is creating these problems in our nation. What happens? We're just called ridiculous, extremists, religious, haters, judges, whatever it might be. Oh, you troublers. You know, in other countries, they're throwing preachers in jail for preaching against sin. It's not popular. People don't like it. They don't want to hear it. And so you see it all through the scriptures. I mean, Jeremiah is thrown into prison and, and prophets are killed. And in our nation, we're just, you know, called names and called archaic and not, you know, moving with the times. And, and yet the whole motivation of preaching is to come back to the Lord so his goodness and his favor can be showered upon our lives again. Coming back home. And so the king says, now this is the king that's worshipped. This is the leader of God's nation who's worshipping false gods, who's, who's teaching through the prophets of Baal, through the songs and the music and through their teachings and counseling, teaching God's people to sin and sexual immorality and, and, and getting drunk and drunkenness and, and uh, greed and idolatry and prostitution. I mean, it was just, it was gnarly. It was nasty. It was so ungodly. And this king of God's people looks at the prophet and says, Oh, you troubler of Israel. And what does Elijah respond back to him? And he answered, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house, uh, but you and your father's house have have and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Elijah knew at this point that because um, Ahab, the king, had become so polluted, especially by Jezebel, and actually in chapter 21 of the same book, it says that Ahab sinned more greatly than any king that had ever been because his wife Jezebel enticed him to worship Baal. That's why God told Solomon, don't marry women that are not from the same faith because the women will turn your heart away to worship other gods. And that's what happened to Solomon. He was the wisest man who ever lived. But after he allowed his heart to be turned... He began to worship false gods, and the second half of his life was absolutely miserable, which is where the book of Ecclesiastes came from. At the end of his life, he came back to his senses. Don't let that happen to you. And so knowing that the king and the queen had so influenced the people that Elijah knew that the only thing that's going to turn God's people back to him is a power encounter, a showdown. And this is where it just gets exciting. Where you look at this in First uh, Kings chapter uh, 18, and he says in verse 19, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And it might not be a coincidence that we're in Mount Carmel today. And Elijah came to all the people and said, so you got the 850 uh, musicians, prophets, counselors, teachers, all these false prophets of Baal and Asherah. And they're all at Mount Carmel. And then there's one preacher standing there, one Christian standing there. And the face of 
all these prophets and teachers and leaders and the king, well, and the queen wasn't there. And here's Elijah by himself. And then there's all of God's people who have been influenced away from the Lord. And Elijah's standing here. And he says to them, how long will you falter between two opinions? See, this is what happens. You get the philosophies and the opinions and the information from ungodly sources in our lives. And then you get the source of God in our lives. And you're hearing both of them. You hear people saying, well, this is what's acceptable nowadays. And then you hear the word of God saying, actually, it's not. And you stand here between these two opinions, especially in our universities. Majority have completely given themselves over to liberalism and to ungodliness. I mean, many of our universities, Harvard and Yale and Princeton, all these were started by preachers, started by theologians, started by Christians. They were like, they were, they were strongholds of theology and, and missions. And over the centuries, with evolutionary teaching, all these things coming in, I mean, they mock Christianity now. It's, 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 it's sad to say the least. What is influencing you? What is influencing you? What are you allowing into your life that is influencing you right now? That's turning your heart away from the Lord. It happens to all of us. You just have to ask yourself that question. You see, we're dealing with this on a national level in this chapter, but it's also on a very personal level because God's after every individual heart in Israel and the nation as a whole. The same thing's happening in our nation right now. God wants our nation back. But he also wants every individual back. Because he created you. He created every human being on the planet. They belong to him. They're all his children. And he's calling them back. He might be calling you back today. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people answered not a word. Can you just feel it? Can you feel them kind of stuck? They know God's God. But their hearts have been so influenced for so long. They've been saturated in the world for so long that they've, they have a love affair with the world. And now here comes a preacher saying, here's the truth. And like, oh, God, I know that's true. And he says, make a decision. And they're stuck. They're just, sometimes, you, sometimes you turn away from the Lord and you get yourself so far down the road that you're just kind of like there. And you don't really know how to feel. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to get back. And Elijah is there to help them come back. Not to condemn them, not to shame them, but to help them come home. And that might be happening for you this morning with this message. God might be calling you back to closeness and intimacy with him. Maybe you used to be close and you want to come back. Well, it's going to happen for you today. Maybe some of you just have some areas of your life that have just kind of fallen apart in relationship with the Lord. And today is a day of restoration.
So here is the scripture that jumped out at me. And I want to show it to you. I wanted to give you that context, the tension, the showdown, the conflict. These prophets, he gave them the first shot, if you know the story. He said, okay, I'll tell you what. You guys go ahead and build your altars, and you guys call out to Baal. And then I will build an altar and call out to God. And the God who answered by fire wins. He says, you guys go first. So these guys build their altars to Baal, and they start sacrificing. They, they built them up on Mount Carmel, which is why Elijah said, let's go to Mount Carmel. Because that's where you've built all your altars to your false gods, all your philosophies, all your teachings, all your way, your value system. You do it all up there and you worship these gods. So they go up there and they start calling out to Baal and they call all morning long. Then they call all afternoon long. And then Elijah begins to mock them, saying, oh, you know, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe you need to go wake him up. And he says, maybe he's on vacation. And then he actually says this, maybe he's going to the bathroom. So then they start cutting themselves, calling out to Baal, trying to get him to respond. This is what happens to you and I when we turn from the Lord. We try to get our joy and our satisfaction and our purpose and our meaning in life from other sources, other altars in life, other than God, to the point where we hurt ourselves, cutting ourselves. Maybe it's with drugs, maybe it's with greed, maybe it's with adultery, illicit affairs, or whatever it might be that we find ourselves going farther and farther and farther away from the Lord. And we're calling out to the bales to satisfy us, give us meaning. Who am I? Why am I here? Here, Fulfill me. And I'm telling you, the wells of the world do not satisfy. They're temporarily pleasurable, and then they leave you empty. How many cuts do you have to experience? How much pain? How many scars before you turn back to the Lord? And so after they got done, I, just, I think there was an angel just holding Baal's mouth shut, personally. I just think they had him in a headlock in the heavenlies and just had his mouth shut. He's like, the angel's like, no. These guys exhausted themselves. Some of you have exhausted yourself trying to find satisfaction apart from your intimacy and relationship with the Lord. For me, there are three sources, main sources, there are others, that cause our hearts to depart from the Lord. Um, These three are disappointment, distractions, and deceptions. Let's take the last one first. The deception is like what Ahab and Jezebel did to Israel. The deception was the sin will satisfy. That believing in things that are contrary to the heart value system of the Lord, his teachings, his philosophies will satisfy. It's called temptation. It's sin. And it leads us away from the Lord. We begin to rationalize in our mind. Oh, man, we are so good at rationalization. It happens to all of us. We begin to think, oh, a little bit's not going to hurt anybody. Oh, I'm not hurting anybody. You know, I can do this if I want. And we begin to rationalize our sin. We think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. A little here, a little there. And before you know it, your heart has grown hard toward the Lord. That's what sin does. That's the deception of sin. It not only promises to please and only desires to dominate you, but it hardens the heart. 
And then when you hear somebody trying to give you truth, you get angry at them. They irritate you. It makes you mad. I don't want to hear that. Because I want to sin. We all experience that. We're all a mixed bag. That's why God is the one that has to draw our hearts back to him. I pray that all the time. I say, Lord, you know my heart likes to crawl off the altar and go run and play. It's our sin nature. We all have the desire to sin. All of us. Even Jesus was tempted to sin. Temptation is not a sin. It's just reality. But the deception of sin is it promises to please you, but all it's doing is trying to draw you away from the Lord, and it hardens the heart. Or what about distraction? Distraction's a big one. You know, prayer is one of the main ways that we connect with God, and most people say, I just don't have time to pray. And I love what John Piper, a great preacher, said when Facebook came out and became very popular. He posted, Facebook proves you have time to pray. distraction is a big one. I see people come to church and they have these financial struggles and then we talk to them about tithing and they take the risk and they, ex, you know, they exercise their faith and then God begins to meet their needs and then they get a promotion then they get a better job and then they get too busy for the Lord. Distractions. The digital invasion, man. My gosh. If we, imagine if we spent as much time in prayer and in the word and in evangelizing as we did with our thumbs, on our phones, or I mean, distractions, so much information coming at us all the time, all the bells and whistles and the little, the little, the flashing lights and all the glitter just got our attention. I mean, living like this, the digital invasion was supposed to give us more time. The experts say it's done just the opposite; it sped everything up. And now, oh. You know, the fear of missing out, FOMO, right? Oh, what did I miss? What picture did I miss? Oh, who said what? Oh, 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 oh. I mean, it's an addiction. And I don't mean that just, you know, because I'm in my 50s and oh, these darn kids these days. No, all of us. It actually taps into the pleasure center of the brain. It's an addiction. It is, the digital invasion and the addiction to, to, the, to the digital world is Identical to addiction to heroin and other kinds of drugs. So is pornography. It hits the pleasure center of the brain and gives you that endorphin rush. They're addictions. And the Lord can set us free from them all. But these are distractions from our time spent with the Lord. For me, this last one was a big one for me over this past year. That's disappointment. I got so disappointed that my wife got cancer and that uh, I couldn't lay hands on her, cast the demon of uh, infirmity away from her, and for her to be healed. That really messed with me. Especially when I've prayed for so many people and so many people have gotten healed. I know theologically how to respond. I taught you how to respond. But then there's how I responded. Some days, boy, I was just unstoppable faith. Other days, just completely despondent.
And this is the scripture that came out at me. And this is what I want to read to you now. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. Now it's his turn. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. I've got to read this next verse to you because it, it, it connects. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Elijah, now catch this. Elijah had to repair the altar of the Lord, which represents your relationship with him. That had been broken down before the fire of God came out of heaven. You want the blessings of God back in your life? You want the favor of God back in your life? You want the fire from heaven? You want the water that he pours out of heaven and restores the land's water? You want that? You want to walk back into those paths that you used to walk in with the Lord? You might have to repair the altar of the Lord in your life. So he takes 12 stones. There's Judah. These are the 12 sons of Israel, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. His 12 sons are the 12 tribes of Israel. And every son, every name of every son represents something, a gift, an attribute of Israel's relationship with the Lord. So he takes Judah, which is praise, and he starts, puts it back into the altar, building the altar with it. Some of you have lost your praise. He takes Asher, which means happiness and joy. He puts the stone back in the altar. Look at these names. Go to these names. Simeon means God hears me. That's prayer. He takes a stone, prayer, starts building the altar of the Lord. Reuben, affliction and redemption, hope. Some of you have lost your hope. You've become hopeless. And the Lord is restoring the stone of hope in your life today. Hope. Isn't this beautiful? Restoring the altar of the Lord. Next, Gad means overcoming and blessing. Some of you need to become a fighter again. That's what Naphtali, his other son, wrestling and prevailing and fighting. Manasseh, forgotten my troubles. You've helped me to forget my troubles and restored my vision. Some of you have lost your fight. That's one of the things that was happening to me. I fought a battle for my wife and I lost temporarily because God's redemption is tremendous and he causes us to forget our troubles and restoring vision and that's what's happening to us right now my wife is coming back better than ever her depth is beyond what it was before which i didn't think was possible her graciousness is ten times what it was which is what you know 
We were talking on the phone the other day. She called me up. She said, I got to tell you something. She said, I just got a call from, quote, Dell. And they said to me, um, we are receiving information and messages from your computer saying that you have viruses. Ever gotten one of those phone calls before? Right? She's driving a van and she says, okay, now, just wait a minute. You and I both know that's not true. That's when, the, that's when the kid knew he was in trouble, right? When mom gets that tone of voice on you, right? And she said, I just want you to listen to me for a moment. When you were born, <laughs> you believe it? When you were born, this kid's about to get mothered, right? When you were born, God did not create you to be stealing people's information and ruining their lives. You know that, don't you? Silence. When God created you, he created you to have a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And he gave you gifts and talents to be a blessing to others. And stealing from people is not blessing others. You understand that, right? Crickets. She's waiting for the click. He's listening. She goes on. She goes, I went on for like five minutes. And then she says, what do you think about what I'm saying to you? And he says, recorded. And she said, what? He said, recorded and she said oh you mean this message is being recorded so you can't respond to me correct and she thought he's not hanging up he wants to hear this so she went on again she said she went up like seven or eight minutes preaching to this guy and now I, what i want you to do is i want you to go home tonight and i want you to pray to god and ask him to ask, ask him for you to receive jesus christ as your savior Then I want you to ask him what he created you for and what his purpose is for you in your life. Will you do that? And he says, I want to go home and do that. He said, great. Click. How awesome is that? Now, how does that relate to what I'm saying to you? I said said to her, I said, honey, you wouldn't have done that a year ago. She said, no, I would have done it, but I would have done it... uh, How did she say? I would have done it with a chip on my shoulder. I would have been irritated and angry. I said, oh, sweetheart, you've been tenderized. She said, what? I said, you know that, you know that, that, that that little hammer with a ball with the spikes on the end of it that they beat meat with, right? I explained that to her. I said, you've been tenderized. You see, the empathy, the compassion, the tenderness that I see in my wife after going through this trial is, what the, is how the Lord uses what the enemy tries to use to destroy us. God uses those very, if you partner with him. And I've watched her decide not to be a victim, not to be a martyr, not to give up. She's decided to worship the Lord no matter what, just like Job. And I'm watching her become more beautiful, more like Jesus than I am. And I didn't know that was possible. She's like way ahead of me now. That's irritating. Because now she's calling me on my immaturity and my unchristlike moments. I'm like, there's a new sheriff in town, right? And I don't like it. All of these names have, have meanings to them. Closest to God, Levi, those are the priests, Issachar's. God's faithfulness, you work hard and he, re, he re, 
returns you, uh, rewards Zebulun, a dwelling place wished for, which is coming home to God. And then the last one, too, Joseph, favor, the favor of the Lord being restored. Benjamin, son of my sorrow, has become the son of my right hand. A son who caused you sorrow was transformed and became a son that was at his right hand, and they ran together. That is restoration. And he took 12 of these stones. So I'm in my office this week, and I'm studying this out. And there's our AC broke. Nice time for the AC to break, right? Record-breaking heat. So we call our, uh, the AC guy. He comes out, and he's this big Russian dude. He comes out, and he's working, and he's got the ladder, and he's working in our house. And I'm in my office, and I'm studying this out, you know, repairing the altar of the Lord in my life. And I'm, repairing, and I'm studying this message for you in case some of you have some stones, hope, joy, prayer, vision that have, through deception, through distraction, through disappointment, have fallen from your altar and you're kind of limping along with God. That's not God's will for you. God needs you today to take that stone of hope and put it back in your relationship with him, back in the altar of the Lord. He needs you to take that fighting, overcoming spirit, pick that stone up and put it back in the altar today. And the fire of God's going to fall. So I'm in my office and I'm studying this. And I see the AC man and I felt an impression from the Lord saying, he, something's wrong in his life. And I'm thinking, I ain't got time for this. I've got to, I'm preparing a message to restore the altar of the Lord in your life. I don't have time to go talk to somebody about their life. And so he's le- I pay him. He's leaving, and I just feel like the Lord's saying, you better go get him now, boy, right? So I get up from my desk. I go out to the front part and say, excuse me. And this guy's kind of, you know, intimidating. I said, um, this is always a, a, um, a non-threatening, safe way to begin to minister to somebody. I said, it, it, you gotta, it, it, it takes a risk. It's a little awkward and uncomfortable. He's got other jobs to go to. It's hot outside. He doesn't enjoy his job. And I said, can I, can I pray for you? Is there something I could pray for you about? And he kind of looked at me, and his eyes started to well up. I said, I just feel like there's something not right. And he said, my wife died six months ago. And I just don't think there's any, nothing matters anymore. Oh. I said, do you know Jesus? He said, yes, I gave my life to Jesus 20 years ago. But the disappointment had ravaged him. I said, do you have any children? He said, I have a 10-year-old son. I said, well, I want you to know that I'm a pastor. And he said, oh, I know. I said, how do you know that? And he says, I was uh, Russian special ops. He said, I notice things other people don't notice. And I saw your Bible in there, and I saw you with the notepad. And I said, I said, oh, well, I'm special ops too. And he said, really? I said, yeah, spiritual special ops. I notice things others don't too. And I, and I said, I noticed something wasn't right with you. I said, can I pray for you? So I'm praying for this big old Russian special ops AC man on my front porch. 
And he starts weeping like a baby. God's given me words of restoration, man. I said, your altar's been broken down, man. You've you got to put the stones of your altar back into your altar and come back to the Lord and let him restore your life. And told him a little bit about my journey, but it's not like his because his wife died. Mine, thank God, didn't. And, and, and so here's the point. I, I, I was on my knees an hour before he came saying to the Lord, you have got to restore my faith. You've got to, you've got to breathe in my heart right now. I want you to restore the altar of the Lord in my life, and I'm here for us to do it together. And the stone I need to put back in that altar for me is faith. I need to start praying for the sick again. I need to start believing for miracles again. I do, but not like I did, right? I want that restored. And once I got up from there, he touched me. I was in a different place. God breathed on me. I'm preparing this message. And then he sends the AC man so I could help him restore his altar. You can't help anybody restore their altar if you're going to sit there and let your altar be broken down. And you will be led away with the bales. And so after the fire fell, of course, all of Israel started saying, The Lord is God! The Lord is God! The Lord is God! We choose Him! It's like, yeah, now you do, right? But that's what God wanted, was to turn their hearts back. And that's what He wants to do with you today, is turn your heart back to Him. Maybe you're walking with the Lord, but you know you've lost some things. You know you're not praying like you used to, believing like you used to, hoping like you used to. That's not from the Lord, and he wants to restore the altar today. So what is this in your life? Is it deception? Have you been deceived to think that sin is better than him? Have you been led down the path of the world, and your heart's growing hard toward God, toward the people of God? Have you been dealing with disappointment, unanswered prayer, and you're just thrown in the towel? Don't do that. Don't be benched. Get back in the game with the rest of us. And carry your pain with dignity. Maybe it's distractions. You just love the Lord, but your job has just got you off your spiritual track. Or a relationship you know is not of the Lord and it has distracted you from your love affair with him. Or whatever the distraction may be, entertainment, just distracting you. I want to read one last verse in this chapter because this is the application point. Close my Bible, so let me open it back up here and get here. 1 Kings 18, look at this. After... 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 40. Now, this is really important. Catch this. After he rebuilt the altar and the fire came, and they all crying out, we want to come back to God. Verse 40, and Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. All those teachers, all the musicians, all the prophets, all the writers, all the influencers, that have led God's people away from me. Seize the prophets. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, which means the, the river, Kishon means the river of slaughter and dismemberment. You remember Jesus saying, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off? Obviously didn't mean that literally. 
But he's saying that whatever is in your life that is influencing you away from the Lord, execute it. Cut it off. Dismember it at the river Kishon. And they executed them there. I was sharing this with my 15-year-old daughter down the hill today because she was asking me about what I'm teaching today. And after I read this, I told the story to her on the way down, she said, why did they have to kill them? They could have turned to God too. Why didn't he give them a chance? Why did he have to execute all those people? I mean, her heart was going out to them. I said, honey, you need to understand. God will give people an opportunity to turn. But when they are harming others and leading them away from the Lord, sometimes the Lord will take them out. But this isn't about people. That's metaphorical for us. It might be for you. There might be a person in your life that's influenced and you need to cut themselves off. I remember when I got saved and I, I got off of drugs and all that, I, I couldn't get rid of marijuana. I just couldn't give it up. And I'd go to pray and the Lord would say, to, the Lord said to me one day, when you pray, you strengthen your spirit. When you smoke pot, you strengthen your flesh. You are, you are enforcing both sides, the spirit and the flesh, and it's a losing battle. And so I realized that, that marijuana was, was causing me to, um, it was taking my heart away from the Lord. Because he's my peace. He's my joy. He's my pleasure. He's my intimacy. He's my fun. And so this was a substitute for him and for the feeling of joy and peace and relaxation and all that. And so I cut it off. But then I found when I'm sitting around with my friends in a circle and they're all passing the joint and get around to me. And I say, oh, no, no, I, I, I don't smoke anymore because I'm worshiping the Lord or whatever I would say. Right. And they're like, oh, come on. You know, God made it. It's a weed, you know, and all this rationalization. I was like, oh, you're probably right. I'm getting stoned anyway, sitting in the circle. That's when I realized I need to take these guys down to the river Keyshawn and execute them. Which again is metaphorical for I had, I, had to, I had to move out of my friend group and get into uh, some people that were running with God. Because I realized I can't hang out with the same people that are worshiping the Baals and expect my heart to be in. See, who's influencing you? And what prophets do you need to execute today? Now let's go to the Lord together. Ask the Holy Spirit this. This is just a moment for you and the Holy Spirit. and We're going to close up here in just a couple of minutes, but we certainly need to let the Lord do surgery today. I've preached it, and now let's let him do what only he can do. Ask the question in your heart right now, what have you lost in your relationship with the Lord? What parts of your altar have fallen to the ground this morning? You may not even be in touch with it. So ask the Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, show me. Come on, this takes courage. Holy Spirit, show me. What areas of my relationship need to be restored? Now ask him this question. What things in my life do I need to execute? 
What right now are the things in my life I need to take down to the river Kishon, the river of slaughter? Kill these things. Don't influence me anymore. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what those are because this is the day of freedom for you. For me, it's doubt and unbelief. Took those guys down to the river last night and I executed them. I'll ask the Lord to restore you. Kirsten, I'm going to ask you if you'll come up. Close with this. Ask the Lord now to bring restoration. He's the God of restoration. I will promise you this. He won't even talk to you about your sin once you turn back to him. All he cares is that you're coming home. Who and what has robbed you? The Lord wants to restore you today. I just got a word of knowledge for someone. You are, that you are a leader. And you have been criticized to where you have lost your confidence in your leadership. And the Lord wants to restore you today. I'm going to just call it out. John, you're a leader. Intercessors, unanswered prayer. Hey, that's part of it. For me, believing for the miraculous and praying for the sick, what can I say? You know, prophets in the Bible died of diseases. I was just told that Bill Johnson was so sick he couldn't eat for 10 days. He said a great phrase. He said, I don't need answers. I have a relationship. God's been healing people all over the planet for years, and yet he ends up in the hospital. You can't quit. What are you going to do? You got to turn back to the Lord. Let's go. Please give me another couple of minutes. I don't want to rush this because the Lord's doing a work in our hearts right now. moment I would Kirsten sing a song for us to use as part of our way of bringing restoration I'm just giving you another moment I know where I want to go but I just I don't want to rush this because I want Holy Spirit to do a complete work in you this morning.
Take the voice of shame down to the river Kishon. Slaughter it right now. It's been dictating. The Lord loves you more than your sin. He can handle it. Just come on back. Those of you who live with disappointment, you're not dead yet. There's still opportunity. You've got to get back in the game. The body of Christ needs you. Your husband, your wife, your kids, they need you. Your parents, they need you. Okay, now, I want to close with this. In the Old Testament, they would build an altar and they'd put a sacrifice on it like a poor little heap or something that didn't do anything to anybody that's going to get torched. Because in the Old Testament, uh, something had to die to pay for the penalty of sin. That's why they called Jesus the Lamb of God. Because those were foreshadows of the sacrifice, Jesus Christ. So he died for our sins. So we don't have to die for our sins now. Now, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that you and I are living sacrifices. That means the way we live our lives are the sacrifice to God. The only problem with living sacrifices, is, as Mary Jane said this morning, they can crawl off the altar. So some of you this morning need to crawl back on the altar and begin to worship God like you used to. So will you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down. Was this a worthy word this morning? I'm going to ask the prayer teams, please come down. And here's, here's how we're going to continue this. The prayer teams are down here. Mark, will you come down and join in the prayer teams? He's going to sing a song that's just so beautiful. You provide the fire. I'll provide the sacrifice, which is you. You're the sacrifice. Your heart. You provide the spirit. Fill me up, Lord. This is the moment. This is the moment. This is the moment of spiritual restoration and empowerment for so many of you here today. As she begins to sing this, you can stay there and worship and let it be your prayer to God. You can come down here to the prayer teams. Let them pray. They'll have words of knowledge and prophecy and empowerment for you. Come bring the spirit of disappointment and lay it down here at the River Kishon and let it die so you walk out of here a person of hope that you can bring restoration to a Russian AC man special ops. That's how it works. Amen? So I'm going to let her worship, and, and I'm done. So you can either slip out, you can slip down, you can just slip your hands up. Whatever you want to do, she's just going to begin to worship, and that's it. God bless you.